corporate boards get to decide whether they want to go the, the route of the phoenix or the dodo. Companies that aren't taking climate change into account will not survive in the net zero future. This is Governance Matters, a podcast for corporate secretaries. I'm Taylor Hughes. And I'm Jeff Cossette. So far, the relationship between capital and climate has been pretty dysfunctional. How we've deployed capital has led to the climate crisis. And the climate crisis, if unabated, is projected to wipe off nearly a fifth of worldwide GDP by 2050. So it's pretty clear we've got to figure out a better way to use our money. If we don't, a terminal landscape awaits both the planet and the corporations that profit from it. The problem is that, in the main, the people running the show haven't shown much inclination to change their ways. Survey after survey show that carbon mitigation efforts have been feeble. And, equally worrisome, lots of firms haven't even given a thought to how they will operate in a warmer world. Fortunately, our guest today is among a growing number of people who make it their business to consider the implications of climate change for companies. Vina Ramini is Director of Research for FCLT Global. Note the acronym. FCLT Global is an organization aiming to focus capital on the long term. And tackling the investment implications of climate change is central to its work. Ramini's job is to motivate company leaders to get climate smart. And that's no easy task. When asked, most corporate executives agree that longer-term horizons for business decisions would improve performance. Yet, half still say they would delay value-creating projects if it would mean missing quarterly earnings targets. So, if the performance data alone isn't enough, what sort of incentives will it take to change? And what exactly will that change have to look like? Vina Ramani says strong governance provides the foundation for success. And that means changing who directors are, how they organize themselves, how they interact with investors, and what they care about. We reached her in Boston. So I wanted to ask you about the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Uh, we just did a podcast on it last month. I was kind of disappointed. Um, since it came out a few years ago, companies aren't really getting on board. The invisible hand isn't working. So governments and regulators are stepping in to make them. And I'm wondering what you make of that. The, the idea that climate change is a financial risk isn't new. This is something that the organization that I used to work for was espousing um, in the 1990s, right? So the you know, companies and investors have known for a while that climate change has financial consequences. And I think the evolution that I've seen is an evolution in the understanding of what the scope of that impact is. So, you know, 20 years ago, we were talking about climate change being a financial risk. You know, 10 years ago, that evolution evolved, uh, moved from understanding that these financial consequences were so significant that the issue was material. And when an issue is material, investors uh, need to know about it as a part of company disclosures. And that's where the SEC is getting involved right now. And it needs to be on the board's agenda. So that's where you start to see the genesis of that movement, the movement that says 
you know, boards need to oversee climate change. And now the latest understanding about climate change, and this is around two or three years old, is that climate is not just financial or material, it's systemic. In other words, it poses a threat to, to the very stability of financial markets. And therefore, regulators who are responsible for maintaining the stability of financial markets, and here I'm talking about central banks, mm-hmm. so the Fed, you know, the, the European Central Bank, um, you know, other global central banks, have to, in fact, take up and address climate change as it impacts market stability. And that's why you've started to see, certainly over the past two years, um, by federal financial regulators, so your Fed, your OCC, your FDIC, those are the banking regulators, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, um, and a range of financial regulators at the federal and some at the state level Mm -hmm. um, start to take on and address climate change from a financial impact perspective. So regulators are one force for change. Veena, do you see an attitudinal change uh, among directors? And if so, what is driving that? What is giving them the pat on the head to consider a multi-stakeholder approach and so on? Yeah, I mean, let me maybe answer that question vis-a-vis climate change, because I think that's where, that's where you started. Um, and I think what you are seeing is a combination of the pat on the head and of Back, you know, a hand in the small of the back, sort of shoving them forward. And it's, it's a little bit of both. So, you know, your question was, have I seen an attitudinal shift? And the answer is yes. And I think uh, th- there's a few reasons for that. I think one major reason is that the impacts of climate change are clearly visible all around us, right? Like we, we joked this as we began this podcast, Jeff, mm. about it being too hot to shut ourselves up in a closet to do this podcast for good sound quality because we're in the middle of a heat wave, right? And, and you know, London, Europe was in the middle of a heat wave. These, this is unprecedented, right? And, you know, we had a bad hurricane season. Like the, the physical impacts of climate change, the physical consequences of climate change are clearly evident and all around us. But the transition consequences of climate change are all around us as well. And, and the transition consequences of climate change, the transition risks of climate change, are um, the the risks that a company faces given the fact that the market context is changing given climate impacts. And there, you know, this is, I think, motivated by a few things. It's motivated by changes in investor attitudes and perception. I think now um, climate change-oriented investing is no longer something that's just the purview of the impact investor or the socially responsible investor or, I mean, mainstream investors for the last, last for the for the most part, understand and accept that climate change is an investment risk for their portfolio companies. They're addressing it, right? So when when Larry Fink is talking about climate change regularly in his annual letter to portfolio company boards, that's something that the board tends to take pretty seriously. And it's not just BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, right? I think investors are also starting to band together to engage with large companies about their climate change strategies. So the the biggest and the best example is the Global Initiative Climate Action 100 Plus, which is um, currently a a coalition of over 500 investors representing many, many, many trillions of dollars in assets, collectively engaging the um, 100 to 150 most carbon-intensive companies in the world, asking them, to transition their business model and business strategies, keeping in mind climate change consequences. So investor pressure is certainly acting as a pressure point. 
I think the policy environment is acting as a pressure point as well, right? So um, we have a new administration, a new administration that's trying to do something about climate change. Clearly, the the path hasn't been without bumps, but um, the U.S. is not the only market in the world, right? You see the policy environment globally moving very, very um, plainly towards growing regulation um, and also increasingly litigation associated with climate change, right? That's the kind of business and, and policy and litigation risks hmm. that um, companies, corporate secretaries, and boards um, take very, very seriously. And then we talked about the, the pat on the head, right? I think where investors are paying attention to climate change, it's not just moving away from companies who aren't being proactive. It's moving very, very aggressively towards companies who are seen as providers of climate change solutions. And there is a lot of capital that is being unlocked um, to help companies who are seen as part of the climate change solution universe, right? So there's, there's investment money, there's, there's cheaper capital, um, and, and there's just a, a number of policy and other incentives. But um, there's also... Uh, right, there's risks uh, and opportunities. And, and the right, opportunities and the other are... Opportunity yeah, particularly from the board level, as I think board directors uh, are really seeing that branding themselves and, and, you know, really demonstrating some knowledge and expertise in climate change, it, it makes them very attractive for their next board seat, right? I mean, board members are motivated to keep their jobs and, and to see if they can get their next board seat. And, and ESG qualification, board qualifications is something that companies are actively looking for, keeping in mind investor pressure, and therefore something that um, specific individual corporate directors are increasingly starting to embrace. Hmm. Actually, we did a, and I think I mentioned it to you, Corporate Secretary Mag did a study um, where almost two-thirds of mega cap companies said investors had been asking about the board skills mm-hmm. uh, in, oh, interesting. in that area. So. I mean, I'd love to see that study, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind slipping it to me at some point. I will. I will send it to you. Um, from your point of view, then, what sort of skills are investors looking for uh, from board members? Yeah, can I can I tell you the one thing they're not looking for? Mm-hmm. They're not looking for. They're not necessarily looking for scientific expertise, right? Because when the question of board competence or board fluency in climate change was brought up, you know, when when that idea began to gain traction, I'm going to say five, six, seven years ago, companies very much interpreted it as investors expecting to see scientists on corporate boards. But that's not what investors are looking for. Investors are looking for corporate directors who have knowledge and understanding of what climate change means, you know, what it and what it means for the specific context of the companies that they oversee. So what it means for the company, what it means for the industry. But they're also looking for people who have the wherewithal to be able to translate that knowledge into what it means to be a corporate director. So again, that that knowledge of, of you know, the impacts on strategy, the impacts on risk, the impacts on capital allocation, um, and the impacts. Um, on on long term value creation, which is all core to what it means to be a corporate director. 
Um, so I think that's what investors are looking for. And, and I'm going to say there's more than one way to skin this particular cat, right? You you clearly need, you know, skills and expertise, and that can translate to someone who has been a part of a sector that's been heavily exposed to these issues. Um, it could be, you know, someone from a policy or regulatory environment. Um, it could be someone from academia sort of focusing on climate change or ESG issues. Um, it could be someone from the investment community that's been paying attention to these issues. So there's a, and, and there's also, you don't necessarily only need to look at CEOs. There's a, there's a whole cadre of chief sustainability officers who are out there. I think that have a lot of knowledge on, on what climate change means, particularly in a business context that I, that I think could be very, very attractive, um, board candidates. But as I said before, there's more than one way to skin this cat, right? So it's clearly a part of the answer is to recruit board directors with the relevant skills and qualifications. But I think an equally important part of the answer is to educate the board as a whole on climate and ESG issues. Because at the end of the day, the board is a collective decision-making enterprise. And decisions are not made by one person. Decisions can be influenced by one person, Mm -hmm. but decisions are made by the body as a whole. And I think for the board to be able to exercise informed oversight about climate, the whole board needs to be leveled up on what climate means to the business. And so you're seeing boards more open to this conversation. Uh, there's pressure from investors. They want to keep their job. That's what's bringing them to the table? Right. For me, the big wild card here is policy. Because I think we've seen um, you know, companies start and stop depending upon what they see in the political tea leaves. And, you know, no place is a better example of that than the U.S., right? Again, two years ago, we had a new administration that had a very clear forward-looking agenda on climate. You saw, you know, companies tripping over themselves to set net zero, groups, net zero goals. Clearly, you know, things may change pretty significantly. I mean, we've had the Supreme Court decision in West Virginia versus the EPA, you know, and, and we have a midterm election, which seems to be pretty up in the air right now. So, you know, what's the direction of the country from a policy point of view going to be post-November? Nobody knows, right? And so the question then that boards are likely asking themselves is, do I need to put the brakes on what I'm thinking about doing on climate, just given the potentially changing policy environment in the U.S.? And I think there's two ways that, that companies can think about this, right? I think large companies, I hope, are not just looking at the policy environment here in the U.S. I hope they're looking at the policy environment globally, whereas I said before, there is a clear move towards upping the ante on climate change regulation. And companies that function in multiple jurisdictions are going to need to make strict climate change regulations somewhere they operate, even if it's not in the U.S., right? So if I were a smart company, I'm thinking long-term and I'm thinking global. And if you're thinking long-term and you're thinking global, you're trying to adapt your business um, to be resilient um, for a a low-carbon future. I think the other, I mean, I mentioned long-termism. I think that's the other perspective to keep in mind, right? I think the reality um, is that from a, a long-term perspective, companies operate better where they have, an, you know, where they have regulatory certainty, right? And if there's one thing that the pandemic has taught us, it's that science should trump wishful thinking, right? That, that decisions including policy decisions, need to be guided by science. So if I were a company and if I were on the board of a company, I would say, I would sort of look at the scientific consensus around climate change and the impact of climate change, which is clear 
and incontrovertible. You're right that the the planet is warming. You know, global warming is caused by uh, greenhouse gas emissions. It's man-made greenhouse gas emissions, right? I would understand that the science has told me that we need drastic action within the next decade before the impacts of the worst impacts of climate change become unavoidable. And I would realize that for my company to to thrive, what we need actually is more rather than less government action right now. And and I would rather than try to sort of lobby against climate change policy or climate change regulation, I would say, you know, we need the government to intervene because no company can do it alone. And I as a company need policy certainty. I don't need sort of the pendulum swinging one way or the other. So I would in fact lobby for science-based climate policy so that I as a company can operate in a in a in a predictable policy environment. Hmm. Hmm. Now, you write in a recent article for Corporate Secretary, you say, quote, climate change, climate transition planning is the new net zero. Um, yeah. uh, you touched on that, but can you expand on exactly what does that mean and, 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 and how that should affect the way boards see their priorities? Yeah, and you and I talked about this a little bit towards the beginning of our conversation, Jeff, where you noted the fact that, look, you know, Companies seem to put out a lot of grandiose statements on climate change, but it all seems a little superficial, mm. right? And and I think that statement is right on the money. And we're really seeing this in the context of net zero goals, right? So if you take a look at it, you know, net zero goals, which are considered to be an extremely ambitious climate change goal. Here is a company, and these are large companies who are committing to reduce essentially get their scope one, scope two, and in many cases, scope three emissions to net zero by a certain time frame, right? 2050, 2040, 2030. And when you're a large company, that's a huge undertaking. And and this was a relatively rare commitment even three years ago. But over the past two years, as I've said before, you've seen companies sort of trip over themselves um, to, to set these goals. So a, a study that I did recently uh, at FDLT mm-hmm. was to sort of assess the extent to which companies who set net zero goals were also reflecting it in their long-term strategic plans. So here I looked at the 100 largest public global companies. So this is the top 100 by market cap uh, of the MSCI Aquilist as of December of last year. So this is analysis we did relatively recently. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a global company. It's a global list. It's a, it's a relatively, you know, it's a dr- relatively diversified list in terms of industry sector as well. It's a fun group to look at. And the, the results were pretty interesting, right? So 84 out of the 100 companies that we looked at had um, net zero or some other ambitious climate change target, indicating that climate change goals were starting to become ubiquitous rather than rare. And those that didn't were certainly starting to talk about the fact that they were thinking about setting these goals in the future. So you'll see that. And you've seen that sort of trend reflected in many other studies. But where we looked, uh, not at their sustainability reports, not at their climate change reports, but rather at their strategic plans. So these tend to be presentations given by companies during investor day. These are unregulated communications. So these are essentially issues that the company is choosing without any outside influence to prioritize as how they intend to make money to their investors. So when we took a, took a look at that, we found that um, you know only around 20 
four or 25 of the 100 companies even mention climate change in their long-term strategic plans. And I was a very liberal grader in this assessment. We found that only eight of them provided, you know, a, 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 an assessment of climate integration into their strategic plans, which I found to be robust and and um, thoughtful, right? A very similar story when I took a look at earnings presentations. So earnings calls tend to be when companies communicate to investors what their performance has been over the past quarter. Again, around 26 or 27 companies mention climate. Keep in mind, these are the largest companies in the world. And again, just seven of them do it in a way that we thought was robust. Um, we also took a look at annual reports. You see a lot more discussion of climate change in annual reports. I believe it was over 70 of the companies that we looked at um, mentioned climate change in their um, annual reports. But very few of the company companies had sort of forward-looking discussion on business opportunities or, or business strategy changing in light of climate change. Most of the discussion that we saw was, in fact, retrospective discussion focused on risk. So again, for me, um, you know, to investors who are asking the question, what is real versus what is not, an analysis like this, I think, provides some very, very interesting insight. Now, I'm not trying to say that none of the companies, like the companies that didn't have the robust integration that we were looking for weren't considering climate change. But the fact that they weren't disclosing it in their strategic plans to investors indicates to me that this discussion is still at an infancy stage within the company because they're clearly not feeling like it's ready for prime time um, in terms of sharing it with investors. And, and that gives me uh, an indication of just how com confident companies are um, in terms of that sort of strategy integration we're looking to see. I mean, at the end of the day, if climate change, if a company believes that climate change is a financial risk or a business risk, you can't have a climate change strategy on one hand and a financial strategy on the other. You need one strategy, an integrated strategy, that combines the company's climate transition planning into the company's business planning. Hmm, that's inside companies. What's the role for directors themselves, then, in engaging with shareholders on all this, if there is one? I mean, my view is that um, boards are fiduciaries to investors, and therefore boards should engage with investors for a couple of reasons. One, to understand clearly what, like, and directly from the horse's mouth, what mm -hmm. investors want. And also to be a messenger for the company's strategy huh. and the company's decisions and the company's approach. Right. And, and this is increasingly, boards are responsible for overseeing strategy. And investors want to talk to corporate boards about company strategy. So I think from a, you know, if I could give advice to, to corporate secretaries and, and investor relations folks within companies, it is to say, make your board directors a part of your messenger group mm -hmm. on, on climate and ESG issues, because that's what investors want, right? If investors are concerned, if, if your survey shows that investors are asking questions about board skills and board qualifications, the best way to demonstrate that your board is fluent on climate change is to get them on conversations with investors. Show, don't tell, right? Show them that the directors have the wherewithal to be able to demonstrate informed oversight. And if you feel like, you know, and if you need to get your directors the required training, it's, you know, the motivation for these trainings don't bother me so long as boards get trained on, 
what climate means to their business so that they get educated so that they, they are made aware because it's going to make them better board directors. And that's your Governance Matters podcast. Our thanks to FCLT Global Research Director, Vina Ramney. You'll find plenty of original research on the causes of short-term business decisions and ideas for practical solutions on their website. And thanks for listening. For Corporate Secretary Magazine, I'm Jeff Cassette. And I'm Taylor Hughes. Until next time.